This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov slash MCTV. We hope you enjoy the following presentation. Local productions on QTV are made possible with support from viewers like you. Thank you. Hello everyone, welcome to Junior Doan's The Spark. I'm Junior Doan and thank you for joining us. Today I'm talking with James Hopp, Associate Professor and Chair of the Entrepreneurship and Franchising Management Programs at Northwind University. Welcome, Jim. I'm interested in the basics. What is an entrepreneur? Oh, Junior, that's a great question and there's several definitions. The basic definition of an entrepreneur would be someone who takes an idea and starts a business from scratch and then runs with that idea. Um, I also believe, though, it's someone who takes over a business and transforms it with innovation. Um, it could be somebody within a large company that we would call an entrepreneur who makes a difference inside of, of a large company. So I think it has lots of definitions and, and lots of avenues to go down. I've never heard the word entrepreneur before. Say another word about that. Yeah, so if you, if you put it into a Word document, it's going to come up and tell you it's misspelled. But it's a, it's a term we use for someone who's entrepreneurial inside of a larger business who, who has uh, entrepreneurship characteristics and is willing to kind of run with things and, and a company that allows for that to happen. So I think it's an invented name, but kind of a, kind of a neat name. And what, what kind of characteristics determine uh, the label entrepreneur? Um, well, I, I think someone who's, who's willing to take the lead, take a risk. Uh, risk is often associated with entrepreneurship, although on the teaching side, we often talk about risk mitigation because oh. it's important to know what the risks are and then you know, kind of work through that, through that minefield. Um, so the characteristics are, again, someone who's independent, someone who's willing to take a risk, someone who understands that failure um, is not the worst thing in the world. Um, and we, as a society, don't like failure, but the truth is, the great entrepreneurs have all failed at one point or another. When someone has a failure, how, what, what advice would you give them to learn from it? Uh, well, I, I mean, the, how do you the first thing I say is, it? right, the first thing I say is, uh, failure is a learning experience. So, first sit back and figure out what went wrong. What, what didn't happen that you expected, or what did, and then how do I make that work the next time? Because there's going to be a next time, right? An entrepreneur does not fail and give up and just say, I'm going back to 
regular society. They say, what's my next project? What's my next idea? What can I bring to the market? And I think, um, hopefully, if you don't learn from your failure, then you're doomed to repeat them. But I think the good ones learn from their failures by analyzing what happened and then going back and, and figuring, out, uh, figuring it out the next time. You talked about risk management in a sense. What are the courses that constitute the entrepreneurship program? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, Northwood takes a unique um, approach to our programming. You start taking courses uh, week one of your freshman year in entrepreneurship. We start off with a, um, a really intro to entrepreneurship and we talk about characteristics and uh, we study great entrepreneurs to see what they did. The next course we move into is called business model generation. And we take the business model canvas, which is really cool, um, nine component canvas, and you almost paint your picture of what you want it to be, surrounded by the value proposition, the customer segments, um, the, the revenue. Uh, I won't go through all the, the model things. The next class is a marketing class, an entrepreneurial marketing class. Then we go to a distribution strategies class. How am I going to take it to market? Brick and mortar, online, combination. Then we do an entrepreneurial finance class. It's actually one of my favorites. I have a background in accounting and finance, I think it's so important that if you don't understand that cash is king and that inventory is where cash goes to die, you have a great chance of not being successful. So our students, we want them to not be necessarily experts in finance, but to understand the importance of finance. Then we have a business feasibility class. We follow that up with an um, a entrepreneurial law class, uh, an entrepreneurial family business class. Um, then we have risk, uh, risk management and sources of capital. And then our, their final project is kind of an sort of an independent study where they actually create a full business plan for their idea, not an idea I give them, for their idea of what they would like to do. Could be their existing business. I have students who come with businesses already in hand. Could be their family business, or it could just be a concept that they just want to take to market. So it's a pretty comprehensive program, 10 courses over four years, plus an internship. And what kind of an internship? Uh, is an internship. Yeah, great question. So if you're in other majors, it's pretty set what you, what yeah. you go do. Um, I'm, I am wide open. I tell the students when they ask me, well, what, I said, you can go do anything because entrepreneurship is, is everything, right? It's, it's human resources. It's marketing. It's sales. It's accounting. It's finance. It's, it's production. It's operations. And so whatever that internship is that fits with your passion. When I talk to my students, one thing I say to them is, what is your passion? Can you take your passion? Can you turn it into a career, right? Not just a job, right? Because I, I like to say to my students, a job is something you do to make money to put food on the table. A career is something you get up for every day, excited to go into right. the world and, and change it. And so I want Good them definition. to follow their passion. Yeah. And if they can follow their passion and take it to market and make profit, then, then, we're, you know, then we're really talking. What if there's a mix match between their abilities and their passion? <sighs> Great question. Um, I never will tell a student, I don't think this is right for you, because that's not up to me. But as they go through the program, they're going to figure out whether it's right for them. One of the things I do early on in that business models class is each student has to pick a, a, a product or a service, put it through the model, and then they get up in front of class and they present it. And one of the reasons I make them do that early and often, we do it in the marketing class, we do it in the final class, is because I want them to be comfortable getting up in front of people. There's no better salesperson for you than yourself and your, as an entrepreneur, right? You can't go hire a sales force when, when it's your business. Uh, Elon Musk, I know that you're a, you love Tesla. Elon yeah. Musk is the best salesperson yeah. that Tesla could ever have. 
right? And, and he's created a buzz about that business without spending money because he gets a lot of PR. So um, I like to get them up and thinking about it. And sometimes what students will find is, you know, I'm, I'm a little more conservative. I, I'm not a risk taker. Maybe this isn't right for me. And, and they can shift their goals. Good to find out early. Yes, and by taking classes in your freshman year, you figure out early on, this is something I can do. Now, there's also the student that the nerves, you know, build up. Oh, I don't know about getting up in front of people. And I tell them, you know what? The time to fail is here in the classroom. Yes. Take the chance. And if you fail, it's okay. You're going to get through it. You're going to learn from it. And next time, you won't. Then I also tell them, I, I've gotten up in front of people for much of my career in, in different things. I, I still get butterflies when yeah. I go do things. It's okay. But I come prepared. I come ready. Um, I'll get the butterflies, and then I work through it. So it's okay to have those feelings, um, but if you're an entrepreneur, you got to be out front. Yeah, you got to be excited. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that it occurs to me is that how do you teach the um, the integration of where you spend money, like on marketing or whatever, on product development or sure. any of this sales. So one of the things we look at is that resources are scarce. Right? right, so we talk about resources and the fact that they're scarce, we don't want to waste them. Uh, it's one of the reasons why we set the program up the way we do and we talk about risk mitigation. Um, and so we say, look, uh, you're not going to go do a commercial on the Super Bowl in your first year, right? Because it's yes. $6 million or whatever it is for 30 seconds. You're unlikely to do that. Not to mention the fact that that's probably not your audience. Right? Yeah, so right. one thing we talk about is who are you selling to? Who do you want to sell to? Let's focus our, our efforts and our, uh, our dollars towards understanding what our product is, who wants our product or who needs our product, and who's willing to, to pay for it. So when we talk about spreading dollars, it really comes down to understanding what you're trying to sell and who you're trying to sell it to. Once you know that, you can put the right dollars in the right place. Now, does the course or do you have a strong uh, thought process about whether you should hire in-house? for marketing or some of these other, or contract out. And if you contract out, how do you know it's cost effective that you're dealing with a good person? How do you teach that? Well. Oh, how do you answer the question, how do you teach it? Yeah, um, I, I need to think about that. So whether you do it in-house or you outsource, it kind of comes down to your skill set, right? If, if you're a good self-marketer and a good promoter, maybe you do it yourself. Again, if you don't have enough money to go outside and pay the money for that, um, you may have to learn how to do it. It's part of the reason why we teach an entrepreneurial marketing class, so that you have some level of understanding. Um, however, you do have to understand where your limitations are, and if the opportunity presents itself, go get help on the outside. The really cool thing is there's entrepreneurial marketing people who love to work with entrepreneurs. Um, I have uh, a, a student, that they just uh, a Barrow Creative in Midland, started five years ago by a couple of Northwood alums. Yes. These guys are entrepreneurial. They love to work with entrepreneurial students. And so uh, I'm not saying that they're gonna cut a deal. Of course they should, they should make money, but the point is they, they understand how to come at it. Um, maybe if you went with a traditional marketing firm, you know, it would be a different approach, right? You're probably not gonna wanna go with somebody who's working with Fortune 500 companies, but you would wanna work with somebody who's worked with you know, smaller, small business entrepreneurs. And that's, that's how I would focus that. But again, it really comes down to understanding who your customer is and how I'm going to reach them. And how do you find out who your customer is other than your idea of it? Well, I, um, you know, I mean, you can do some research, of course. You, you have to, of course, understand your product or your service, right? Um, I always tell people, uh, 
if your if your idea is tech, if it's an app, right? Who are you selling your app to? Who or or who's going to use your app? And um, my mother is uh, 83 years old, right? And and she's not great with tech. So I say that's not your customer. She yeah. might eventually buy it, and if she does, that's great. But so let's not focus right on people who aren't your primary users, but focus on who you think is going to use it. If you're following your passion, it's easier for you to recognize um, who's going to be using your product, right? Because it's somebody who maybe is like you or thinks like you. And so I think you're kind of selling to yourself in, in that regard. And if you're not sure, then you can always go uh, get a marketing, get some marketing help. I, um, I, I understand they break down the the uh, customer, so to speak, into different cohorts, sure. including early adapters. Yep. How yep. do you identify the early adapters mm -hmm. in almost any quadrant? So I represent the, the, the group called laggards. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm probably not a great example. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I carry an iPhone 6, right? We're well beyond the 6. Um, and eventually I'll move up. I'm, I'm happy with tech that meets my needs. Um, I think uh, I think it's really hard to recognize those folks, um, but uh, they tend to be the ones who come to your website early. They're the ones who, who show interest early. And um, but I don't know that there's a great way to just say, oh, they're clearly early adopters or they're laggards. Um, my class knows I'm a laggard because I tell them that they 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 laugh and they go, okay, I'm not selling you till later. I'll get, I'll come get you later. Um, but the the early adopters tend to be the ones who will, will come forward. Um, maybe they'll be the ones who inquire and say, hey, I hear, I hear you're working on this. Um, can I get in on maybe helping you out with the prototype? So maybe that's how you identify them if, if you can. But identifying your customer base is, is understanding attitudes and, and desires uh, and then uh, hoping that um, through maybe social media you can attract a customer base. Right? How would Today's they know I'm how sorry. to do social media? Is that another thing they'd contract out or do it in-house? Well, I think... Uh, if it were me, I would yes. contract it out. Yes. Um, but this the age group that, that we're working with right now at the college level, they're so good with it. Um, it's almost second nature to them, posting and, and communicating with their friends on Instagram and Snapchat, um, that they're really smart about who they get, you know, who they go after and who's going to uh, be followers. So I think that um, this current group that we're seeing, uh, this, this generation, if you will, um, really does an excellent job using, utilizing social media, which, again, is a very inexpensive way to go out and, and find your customer base. Do you find the people of this age who are used to social media have the same attention span in class or elsewhere that, say, kids from 15 years senior to them? Yeah, that's a fair question. Um, I always tell people um, I'm, I feel lucky because I teach um, a major course in entrepreneurship and a major course in franchising management. So students tend to want to be in the class when it's their major. I hear what you're saying. Um, so they come prepared. Right. Um, you know, not maybe a little tired sometimes. But um, so I, I don't see that in in the classroom because they want to be there, um, yes. and they recognize that you know we're only meeting so many times, and this is information I need to absorb to build my skill set. Um, so I have not seen that. Um, you know, and I don't want to generalize because I, I can only speak to what I see in the classroom, which is a lot of interest, um, which I certainly appreciate. makes my job a lot more fun. Is the personalities of the people who are attracted to entrepreneurship program different from the ones that go to the franchising program? Um, quite similar in that franchising is quite entrepreneurial. Oh. 
Oh. Um, in the beginning, right, the franchisor, the one who creates the concept, is certainly entrepreneurial. The franchisee tends to have entrepreneurial uh, perspective, but um, this is where it cuts off. I have to follow the rules, right? As a franchisee, um, I'm getting an operational guideline, right? And I can't, I can't make decisions on my own, like I'm going to change this product because part of the idea of franchising is consistency, right? We, when we walk into a franchised operation, we have an expectation. This is how it's going to be. Um, and I say that's the biggest difference. You know, it's interesting where we see um, really successful um, application in franchising is uh, ex-military people. Um, they, they come out of the military great at following orders, but with tremendous leadership skills and a work ethic that's hard to beat. And that is a really nice combination for franchising. Um, it's not to say that you can't be, right? The, the, the $5 foot long was, was a franchisee idea. Um, right. And so there are times when franchisees can bring forward ideas, but instituting them has to get approval. And so there's you know a slight difference there. Interesting about the military. Tell me the courses in the franchising program. So in the franchise, because they're so tightly, um, uh, they, they fit so well together, um, three of the courses required are actually entrepreneurship courses. But we did develop four completely new franchising courses, and we do a, a principles of franchising. And of course, you need to understand this is a, a, a two plus trillion dollar global industry. It's tremendously oh. huge. Um, you know, we're, to our knowledge, we're the only school that offers a franchising management major at an undergrad level, which is exciting. Um, and so we create the principles class, and you need to understand what's a franchise or what's a franchisee. Um, and there's the third leg of the stool, and that's the suppliers to that group. And these are all tremendous industries. And then most people look at franchise and they go, oh, it's all fast food, about 30%. It's oh. everything from accounting to wildlife management and almost anything in between. If you have a concept that you think can be repeated, it can possibly be franchised. So we have the principles class. Then they take uh, a couple entrepreneurship classes. We didn't want to recreate the wheel. The business models fits beautifully. The entrepreneurial marketing, they just do it for a franchise operation. The uh, entrepreneurial finance class, they do because, again, my theory, right? every business owner needs to understand their finances. They do a uh, principles of selling class, which is a marketing class because selling is important. And then we get back into uh, franchise uh, compliance and law. Um, there's, there's some regulation in franchising. Every um, legitimate franchise puts out what's called an FDD, a franchise disclosure document. It's 23 items, same for everybody, but it gives all the information to potential franchisees so that they understand what they're getting into. So we look at compliance and law. Then we do an international franchise class because, again, it's a $2 trillion industry. And then the final course is we do current topics and trends in franchising. So we've been looking heavily at the $15 an hour minimum wage and yeah. the impact that will have on franchising, which is tremendous. Um, we look at the Labor Relations Board's decision on franchisor versus franchisee. And we just we really look at those topics. And our, our goal is to prepare that student to go out and either work for a franchisor to become a franchisee, hopefully a multi-unit franchisee, or to work in the supplier side. So that's kind of the goals of, of that program and kind of how it got created. And we had tremendous help from the industry. Um, Northwood got into it because we had industry people in franchising come forward and say, we think this needs to be taught. We think you're the right school mm -hmm. to teach it. And here's what we want to see. We also had the International Franchise Association's Education Foundation come in and kind of help us um, underwrite the program. And so we kind of got their seal of approval, if you will, which was very important to us in the program to have their support.
And that's boy, you really taught me how vast an opportunity is. It's because tremendous. Yeah. Yes, I yeah. was unaware yeah, of, of that. I was thinking I fast food in America. This is and what people think franchising is. It's so much more, and the opportunities are, are endless. Now, you personally have had such an interesting professional background. Do you want to say what you learned from some of the other oh, things, most yeah. of which got bought? But anyway, sure. say a little bit sure. about that. But, uh, you know, I started uh, with an internship uh, from undergrad at a, at a 50-year-old, second-generation family business called Bill Maher Foods. And so I was watching the second generation run um, the show, and I was growing up with the third generation. And that uh, was really interesting perspective uh, to watch the two founders and then their sons run it. And we were about a $300 million company. It was a big company. While I was there, we were bought by an $11 billion company. Um, and I was in accounting, so that was really interesting. Um, but I also watched the decision of, of that family to say, do we want to continue? Very difficult, by the way, to go from second to third generation. It is. And, and beyond. Or is this the right time? And I really think they made the right decision to sell. Um, some of them went off and did their own entrepreneurial activities beyond that, which was neat. I then had uh, just about a 14-year career in banking, um, which took me to uh, Texas and California and throughout Michigan. Um, most of that, my career there, I was a lender. And this is where I got really interested in entrepreneurship. I was working with all these fantastic business people who started things from scratch. And you think, how do they come up with these ideas, right? And, um, and I got to be part of it by, by helping to fund it. Um, you know, uh, and I learned a ton by watching them from startup phase you know, right through to sometimes selling off. I left banking to go to one of my customers as their chief financial officer who I had funded uh, from their startup. And, oh, um, my goodness. Yep, which was pretty interesting. Banks don't always like to fund startups. I got in yeah. early with this company. I watched them grow. They needed um, some help and... and um, I had finished my MBA at Northwood. Uh, the owner and I had a great relationship, and I came on board. I got an ownership piece, and we took that business from eight million to fifteen million. Plastic thermoforming business. Okay. Uh, I got to give Joe Obelier was his name. He started that business from scratch, and it's called Packaging Direct. Um, somebody came along, and I'm going to steal a line from The Godfather, and they made us an offer we couldn't mm -hmm. refuse. Um, and we uh, we did sell the business, um, and then two years after that, I moved on. Then um, I went in with three other gentlemen uh, that I had created a relationship with in my time in banking, um, a couple CPAs and a former customer. We bought a medical bill review company, and we ran that for seven and a half years. Um, and that was really interesting. To go from manufacturing to medical bill review uh, and service business was, was really different. What did you have to learn? Well, I, I, I didn't even know medical bill review existed. <laughs> so I had to learn um, what our revenue streams were and, and why what our value proposition was, really. And so um, I came in and, and tried to learn the business. We had three revenue streams. Our value proposition was in the state of Michigan, we're the only state in the union that has unlimited lifetime medical benefits if you're involved in an auto accident. Therefore, the insurance companies are on the hook for what could be a very large number. And so our, our job was to make sure that what got paid for was the right stuff to get paid for. Because if there was an accident, Right, it would go to an auto claim because it would go on forever. And so I learned, now the, the best part of what I learned there was not so much what we did as a business, but I learned that if you put the right people in place and you give them the tools to succeed and then you kind of get out of their way, you can be really successful. So it wasn't, it wasn't up to me to do the medical bill review. It was up to me to give our employees the right tools and then manage the operation and then let them be effective at what they did. And once we gave them the tools, um, we had tremendous success, but it was all due to the employees. I have to tell you, our, we had 
we, we had 11, 12 employees. They all treated it like they owned it. Oh, I love that. Yes. How did you create that? Oh, I don't know if I can. I can't take the credit, but I think we, um, we had profit sharing, and we were very clear that the better we do, right, the, the more you'll benefit. It was, it was a percent of pre-tax dollars that went in, and then it was based on your performance. I'm a big guy. I'm, I'm big on performance, right? Um, it's not about how long you're around. It's, it's how you perform. And so 80% um, of their bonus was based on their performance, based on the pool. And so we said, if we do well because of you, because our employees make us who we are, then you should enjoy the benefits of that. And I think so people took ownership in it. They really loved working there, and we tried to create an atmosphere that was friendly. We tried to be flexible um, and, 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 you know, just create an, an, an atmosphere where people wanted to come in and work every day and wanted to perform. I think that's what you need to do in entrepreneurship. Yeah, make you, people happy. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> and satisfied. You right. know what? A happy employee makes for a happy customer. That's true. I always tell my students, you can hear someone who's not happy through the phone. That's right? true. And, but when you get somebody who's happy, you want to deal with them. So. And then you went into a whole other field. Yeah, right. and then, and, and so um, what I found out was uh, two years into ownership there, uh, I, they didn't really need me to be around as much. And I had done a little teaching at Northwood as an adjunct. And so I approached Northwood and said, I've got a little more time on my hands, and I would really, really like this teaching thing. Um, can we pursue it further? And they said, well, how much time do you have? And we were able to figure out I had enough time to become chair of uh, the entrepreneurship department. And for five of those seven years that we owned the company, I actually was teaching full-time and spending a day and a half a week at, at work. And so my students loved the fact that I could come in and say, here's a concept, and oh, by the way, here's how it really works. Because teaching theory only works if you can put it into practice. Yes, that's really true. Well, thank you so very much. I, uh, so here's the deal. Here's what, we've here's what I've learned today. Be likable be responsible, be flexible, be willing to learn. You look at his life, started out an accountant and, and business, and you know, as each opportunity came on, he said yes. <laughs> he learned it, he adjusted his way of being. In some cases, the last, not the Northwood, but before that, he knew nothing about the field, learned enough to train the people who could do it, and made it possible for them to feel part of the operation, be happy by the way he ran it. Yes, they were incentivized, but also it's how the office ran. And then he created the opportunity at Northwood where he had been an adjunct teacher anyway and see if that could grow. So what did we learn here? He was entrepreneurial in his life by flexibility, good personality, ability to follow through, ability to initiate, and to know when you're no longer needed. <laughs> <laughs> Not something that we really like in life, but you know, if we stop one, there's always something else. So remember, take a look at your life. Where you could do better, do it. And you know me, be kind to someone you know and someone you don't know, and do it again next week. But I have a new thing for you. Remark on when someone does a kindness for you and be grateful for that and thank them for it. Thank you. To contact Junia, send her an email at juniadonesthespark at gmail.com. For more information, program schedules, and news about future guests, go to www.juniadonethespark.com. Thank you for joining us. See you next time on Junia Dones the Spark.
Local productions on QTV are made possible with support from viewers like you. Thank you. This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov. MCTV.